Good morning and welcome to another episode of Seedling Sessions. This morning we're speaking with uh, two directors of Pollinize, who are an interesting and innovative pollinator conservation organisation. Hi guys, um, so do you, would you mind just introducing yourselves quickly and then maybe telling us a little bit about uh, Pollinize? Thank you. My name is Matthew Elms. I'm one of the directors here at Pollinize. And I'm Owen Finney. I'm a uh, yeah, co-director at Pollinize as well. Uh, do you want me to yeah, go, 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 the story? go for yeah. it? Um, yeah, it's a sort of familiar territory for both of us sort of explaining um, the story of Polonize. So uh, we founded Polonize in 2018 and it was broadly um, due to an allergy that Matt and I suffer from. Um, we both get hay fever quite severely in June um, and I think that is probably where the sort of idea or the origin of why why we decided to um, sort of pursue um, the business model. Uh, so we we tried to put a beehive in an allotment, and uh, for for a number of reasons we weren't allowed to. So it forced us to look at other sort of underused spaces in the city, um, and we approached a few organisations that were that are considered high high profile and iconic in Plymouth, and. Um, asked them very kindly if we could use their spaces um, like rooftops or community gardens and and that was our first sort of um, part of the journey of placing beehives on these locations to un- to understand the honeybee and its foraging behaviors and, it- and its potential for data collection as well um, and then from from that from up till today um, we've developed a range of sort of products and services that are related to pollinator conservation. Um, so just quickly to circle back to something interesting you said there. Um, so so this came out of uh, you both having hay fever, right? So yeah. so what's the link there? Because for me, obviously, I think pollinators. This is a source of hay fever. So you decided to go sort of to the what I would think of as the source of the problem, but I've obviously got that wrong. Could you kind of explain that bit? Yeah. So. Uh, we, we we had heard anecdotally that um, dosing on small amounts of honey um, could help alleviate the symptoms of hay fever. Um, and from minor mats, like really practical sort of logical understandings that obviously the honeybees are foraging on a, a very wide range of, of flowers. And obviously we're, in, we're eating and almost um, immunizing ourselves against that by having small amounts of that exposure to that wide variety of flowers um whether that's scientifically sound uh, i guess there's still a lot of study to be understood about that but that was the the one of the reasons why matt and i thought um we should set up a hive so we could dose on on local honey essentially and and, and yeah and it's fascinating so firstly like just from a, an end of two with you guys have you found that has been an effective strategy um <laughs> yeah, I've, yeah i've definitely it was debilitating back in the day. Um, but yeah, I have my honey on my toast every morning and I seem to be a lot better. Yeah. And, and I presume, importantly, um, you, one wouldn't expect to get these benefits from some mass-produced Tesco honey. The, the key here is that it's uh, lo- you know local, fresh um, honey. Is there yep. something around that? Yeah. Yeah, I think the key drive is to is localism, uh, buying and supporting your local beekeepers' honey, um, and then 
improves traceability of honey. Else, you get these big blended honeys from EU and non-EU sources and sugar added in. And yeah, it's uh, best to keep it local. And it's such a um, the adulteration of honey is such a massive business. Um, like it's pretty well studied that um, anything you get, anything that is sort of cheaply and widely available um, has probably been adulterated. Um, so yes, the local is just it's a no-brainer. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of a, a personal passion area of mine is um, looking at both re- regenerative um, pro- products and also short food supply chains. And this obviously fits well into that category. And I promise we will get more onto your business, but I, it'd be worth a conversation. I'd be interested to know what, what, you know, where, where you source your, um, this kind of high quality honey. So that, really, really interesting. So it'd be good to understand um, that was uh the origin story um it'd be great to understand a little bit about what you're up to now um you know what's what uh what the kind of services and what solutions you're offering brilliant so our interest in bees obviously stemmed from the honey and then we learned the role of the honey bee and that it was a it's a general generalist pollinator and it shares many of the same species plant species which it forages its food from as um, other wild pollinators so we looked um, as the honeybee returns to the hive or the colony the colony every day it's a really good way of uh, researching bees behavior and using that as a proxy uh, for for other insects so we devised a means of collecting the, the the pollen from the bees hive essentially the bees walk down a tube and then we send the tubes away to be analyzed for dna so we've been doing that for three years now here in plymouth so we've um and then we found out about the the honeybees waggle dance which is um a means of the scout bee telling the other bees where the fo- where the forage is by doing a dance which gives coordinates to the other bees so we developed a beehive with the tubes on the front and a camera inside with the associated lighting to be able to film the bees doing their dances. And we've invested in an AI computer and AI um, capable staff. And we are actually decoding the waggle dance so we can find out where the bees are going, what they're eating. And then we've actually uh, pulled in the Met Office API to know the date time uh, and the weather at that specific location of those coordinates so we've gone quite in depth there um, for the study of so that honeybees will go um, 10 kilometers away in in a really stressed time they they ideally want to be going no no further than a kilometer away from the hive so if we know if they if they're going really far away it means then that that area is stressed and not just for the honeybees but for other pollinators so that's why we're learning into into the bees there. Uh, but we've also... Matt, I was going to say it's probably good to explain that um, that the, the the study of the waggle dance was done in laboratory conditions. So where, where our sort of, where the beehive is innovative is that it's capturing it in the field in real time as compared to where um, the sort of one of the biggest studies were at is it Sussex or Wessex? Sussex, Sussex yeah, yeah, Sussex Uni, where they they were doing it in laboratory conditions with protractors and rulers, and you know you had to have an observation hive, which means it's observable in the laboratory conditions. Yep. So that's where what we've developed is a little bit more 
yeah innovative than yep. the current sort of ways of studying the waggle dance. Yep. And then we've moved on to MOFs uh, using the same camera technology from an Agritech grant. Uh, we've then applied it to MOFs. So we have a UV light, which turns on by a computer. And then uh, the MOFs come in and get photographed and then fly away unharmed in the morning uh, because there's uh, nearly 900 species of macro MOFs in the UK. And this is a good um, indicator of biodiversity. So we've also developed that. Um, so our net, so coming back to the beekeeping um, and the regenerative agriculture kind of terms. So if we could see beekeeping as a circular activity where we're listening and learning from the bees what they're, what they're feeding on, we can then subtract that from what they could potentially be feeding on. And then we can arm the public and landowners with a gap analysis and a prescription seeds mix to then plant, to then improve the area around the hives for the bees um, through, through the data that we've learned from the, the hives. So it's kind of a, a circular beekeeping method. So we've, we've actually supplied every child, school child in Plymouth with a packet of seeds this year on Earth Day. Um, which was 38,000 seed packets based on our mix um, from the pollen analysis hives. So that was a really cool moment. But we've actually we're, we're doing a further project now with the University of Plymouth, where we have two uh, data.gov databases of plant pollinator interaction and insects and their food plants, and we're making a biodiversity tracking tool with uh, an academic called Dr. Lauren Ansel. And this tool will, um, once you put your eco- um, ecological survey data in there, either insect or plant survey data, it will statistically uh, prescribe the next seed or plant to sow to um, achieve the maximum benefit in biodiversity. So is it a prescribing tool? And what we'll be looking at then is um, to add this tool as part of a service. So we're, our, our new service is the the Repollinized Rewilding Program, where we'll be doing monthly visits to um, to any landowner or farmer who wishes to participate. And then we upload the observed uh, insects and plants through the database and track that improvement over time. And then we can advise on what seeds to plant. And if they wish, they can procure the seeds from us because we are investing in a a seed pharmacy where we're going to have hundreds and hundreds of the different species available to hand and in stock um, because we've we've found to um, from our own experience that these some of these seeds are really difficult to obtain um, yeah so it's going to be so I think, I know you can't see me through the podcast but the wall behind us we've got a an eight foot high wall nine meters long we're going to have hundreds and hundreds of jars with all the different seeds behind us yeah so just just to take a sec because the it's a staggeringly fascinating the complex amount of uh research and technology that you've uh that you've done there um just one of the points was talking about the the dna analysis um i'd be interested to hear a bit more about that so you know we will you know, one of our members is Nature Metrics, who do DNA analysis um, on soil samples and water samples um, to map biodiversity of DNA. Is this is the analysis that you're doing something similar to that? So, 
we um, have a, an analytics partner called B Bytes Analytics, and they're based in the Roslyn Innovation Center in Edinburgh. And they take care of the service for us. Um, and it's a process called meta barcoding. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Um, so, so, what, so are you looking for plant species DNA or? Species DNA, yes. Um, we, we have done uh, whole, whole genome bee genomics as well. Um, where we sent bees off to um, the team and then they, they um, work out the lineage but they can also find out um, if there's any pathogens in in the bees' guts. Um, so, that, yeah, they're, they're the experts on that. We, we're working with them, yeah. I guess it's probably important to point out that through through the pollen data, what we're hoping to do is to, is to leverage that data with someone like a statutory body where we can help improve their planting strategy Um as Matt was saying, that there, there's a preferential foraging radius for honeybees, and um, if by by doing that gap analysis, we could certainly sort of suggest to to say that if they are going quite far away, um, that you know the the planting could be improved nearby or within the area. So, yeah, there's the real world application of of yeah of partnering with a statutory body to improve yeah that opportunity for them. Yeah, so so my assumption is that the potential clients for this are landowners, property developers, that sort of thing. Um, are you looking to offer kind of full service, everything from installing beehives? Yeah, monitoring. That's the sort of the the beauty of the the rewilding program is that you can take as much or as little as you want from what we what we offer, but the the biodiversity tracking tool. Is yeah, is a basic sort of survey of your land, understand the value. But if you want to add more data sets or more um, more opportunities to look at the biodiversity value, we can put a beehive in there. Um, we can put a moth box in there. Um, we can supply seeds. Yeah, we could, we've got a library of services which we can um, take advantage of. It's using the bees and the moths as a biosensor, essentially. You know that we're we're, we're asking them to do the hard work yeah. you know they're already out there doing these services to the to the environment so we're just tapping into you know that behavior that already exists it's great i mean one of the reasons i i love this is um and you know it's not a bad thing but uh, particularly in the sort of agroecological regenerative movement there's a bit of a carbon myopia at the moment and part of that is because it's comparatively it's not easy to measure but it's comparatively easier to measure but um you know there's a growing body of evidence that biodiversity is a much stronger indicator of ecosystem health um soil health etc and so um any any efforts like this to both help build biodiversity or pollinate at least and measure that well um is 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 incredibly exciting and has the potential i mean i think all landowners now would like to see an increased biodiversity and understand how they're how they're improving that and how better to improve it but you know we have the potential at some point down the line fingers crossed with technologies like this to have biodiversity credits in the way that we're starting to see the emergence of carbon credits yeah absolutely i, th- I think um the there's there's a there's a couple of 
bits of study out there suggesting that wildflower, well, wildflower-rich meadows can sequester um, carbon really in a uh, really well. Obviously, we know planting trees is obviously the, the long-term strategy, but in terms of a short-term one, I think wildflower meadows um, can be as effective. Um, but yeah, the biodiversity net gain stuff is yeah. 2023, isn't it? Yeah. For the legislation. So next year, biodiversity net gain is going to be a big driver in the area. Um, and also the um, elms as well. Well, I think this is it. And, and, uh, it's, it's definitely got to be a mixed strategy. I mean, it's interesting you mentioned sort of forestry, um, but I think any successful transition towards kind of a, an overall agroecological system is going to be a mixture of that and wildflower meadows and better pasture and better um you know arable techniques you know it's not it's there's no silver bullet to this and i think we need all of these things yeah definitely mm-hmm. yeah so, so so what are the so what are the next big steps what exciting things are kind of on the horizon and we go to hear some of that yeah well, so what we're um working um yeah on a weekly basis we're meeting up with lauren at the university of plymouth we're we're, we're we're making the front end of this biodiversity tracking tool. It's looking really good. We're um, all pretty, almost making Pokemon cards for each of the seeds, seed species with all the stats, almost like tr- top trumps. And then we have this, um, the map, the map, but the rewilding map we have on our website. It will, once a plant scanned in, through the iNaturalist app, a pixel pixel image version of that plant will then propagate the map. Um, so we'll be able to geofence um, some fields or a park or um, a campus, university campus. Um, and then it would it, almost like gamifying the experience. So we're going to be encouraging kids to play, adults to play, um, and also we'll be conducting surveys ourselves um so yeah we're having a lot of fun to be honest and um we're going to be building this seed pharmacy and we're going to be um promoting it in the new year as within the, the construction sector um we're going to continue working with agri epicenter to to try and get some um some of the satellite farms involved in what we're doing um so yeah it's going to be we're looking forward to next year yeah and we've got a, a small small project next year um which was is to is a a, cam, a campaign to to bring awareness to pesticide use in the urban environment. I know it's slightly off topic for because um, obviously we're talking about agri, the agricultural sector. Not at all, not at all. Yeah, but we just feel like um, for, for our work um, around pollinator conservation, we need to make the leap um, from people that are that don't want to see insect or pollinating insects die, but just to understand that pesticides have a part to play in that decline as well. So we're quite keen to see that project be delivered next year um, because we feel like the public will be able to make a more informed decision about how they leverage that knowledge against what a statutory body should or could be doing to provide alternatives as well. Yeah, it's really interesting. There's there's clearly a big uh, step change happening in this area. I mean, I live in London and I'm just fascinated to see that my local council, Hammersmith and Fulham, have been signposting rewilding in all of the local parks here. Um, and, and they have a sort of a whole educational piece that it links to that. Mm-hmm. I think it's, and it's really encouraging to hear that you're also looking at the educational piece, particularly with children, 
because I'm a firm believer that um, that change in this area is we cannot expect it to come entirely from policy. It needs yep. to be grassroots thing, and there has been there is currently a almost critical disconnection between. Um, uh, well two things one the people who grow food and the people who eat food and there's also a massive critical disconnect between urban and rural environments and this kind of work that you're doing particularly you know for children as well it's it's just so vital to make people understand like why these things are important what the knock-on effects are how they can help etc cetera, etc cetera. so that's, that's really wonderful that you're you're doing that as well thanks well, we rely on farmers at least three times a day, don't we? So, but it, 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 that's why we kind of developed the map, um, because I think with a lot of environmental initiatives and behaviours at home, I think sometimes you can feel like, oh, it's only me. There's not, I'm not going to recycle this, not going to recycle that. But with the map, you can see where someone else has planted seeds and you can see you're not alone in that effort. So it's um, not only is it, time stamping and attributing it to a sense of place but it, it, you're, you're participating in an activity which other people are in and you can see that happening on a map near you as well so well, to follow on from what Matt's saying I, think it, I had these sorts the other day is that you have these big overarching um macro strategies you know um you look at cop 27 and you know the the uh, airtime that got on on local uh, on national and local media is almost non-existent, and um, I think one of the troubles or one of the challenges, rather, is that as we move into a environment where people feel more and more disconnected from those macro strategies and how that gets brought down to the micro, um, we need to have efficient ways of communicating uh, things like pesticides or the climate the climate and ecological crisis because a lot of people just don't see how it's affecting them or or what the what the long-term issue is or, or what's already on their doorstep you know no one knows anything about um um just the scale of the problem i think is often what gets lost lost in translation um you know i think people hear about it or see about it every now and then but i think the scale of it is sometimes lost because it's not it's not communicated via the media in, in the most honest way sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's so true. So, so to segue off, off that, I mean, our role as an organisational, one of our many roles as an organisation is to help connect organisations like you to um, kind of the farming and agricultural community um, and to generally spread the word about both the innovations um, uh, and, and the kind of projects that we're involved in so, and and that's a big part of what this this podcast is for so i mean i'm sure there's lots but who who are the kinds of people that would be you would be helpful for you to work with um um or partner with um off the top of the head i think obviously like in terms of a, a customer base obviously people that are maybe already uh, looking into crop health or, or like trying to attribute value to land um i'm sure there might be com- we're open to conversations to to understand yep. where that data exists or where that serve the survey of the data exists um 
we're, we're working with one of the UK's largest house builders. And we're also working with um, a utilities company mm-hmm. um, with multiple sites um, up and down the country. So I think if we can make headways in that space, um, it would be really good. And, and the, the the satellite farm network would be awesome. So we can get case studies, case studies across different areas of the UK. Um, and it would tie into the other technologies on all these farms. Um, and hopefully lead showcase through the research and lead the way. And then those, those practices can be standardized and be enrolled across more, more farms, smaller farms. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. So it makes it so, so for, I guess, for the benefit of anyone who's listens to this, that uh, isn't aware, um, AgriEpi has a network of um, roughly 25 um, commercial farms across the UK. They're a mix of farms from small to large um, across across different sectors and we work very closely with those farms to firstly understand what the problems they face um, on their farms are and then we try to then bridge the gap with uh, innovators and technologists like yourself to develop help develop solutions for those problems and then that a big part of that is um, also then getting those technologies and innovations onto these working commercial farms for testing and trialing and uh, this is a perfect example of um you know of where that network um of farms is is really helpful and it's uh yeah it's very encouraging rather exciting looking forward to seeing how that goes is there so it's been a fascinating conversation um i i sort of blown away actually by uh, the work that you've done it's um um yes very technical in, in lots of different aspects um and the whole the whole circular business model idea is really interesting well. but is there anything else you'd kind of like to say in terms of um before, putting it in before we wrap up well um the the new product that we're bringing out uh, in the spring that's going to serve as a really pinpoint targeted means of um improving biodiversity but We've done a lot of work with our general seed mix. Um, we have a general seed mix available. Um, we've got a couple hundred kilos of that. So, if uh, want to get off, if any farmers out there want to get um, the ball rolling straight away, we've got a general mix which um, caters to 352 species of pollinators, yeah. and there's two, 2,022 different interactions uh, between plants and pollinators. There, so different relationships. So that, that's an instant way to get involved was um that seed recipe the general one was built off the two uh, databases that we mentioned a little bit earlier in the conversation where we yeah basically ranked um the data to ensure that when we were picking those uh wildflower and the seed straights by themselves that we were picking the ones that were most beneficial which is um yes something we spent quite a long long time doing yeah. So is is so. I assume this is going to be offered as a uh, service uh, as opposed to as a kind of as a product. Yep. Uh, yeah. Service, and um, we service, and then we can give you a prescription. You can you can, you can procure your seeds from us. Um, we may want to have a a continual or snapshot ecological survey. Obviously floral arrangements change throughout the year 
So to get a multi-snapshot over the year of, of how your land's behaving um, is better. Um, and you're going to find more species of insects and plants over a year. So if you're looking to tie into any of the new legislation coming in um, and receive payments from the government from that, um, that's the best way of doing it, if, as far as we can tell. Well, look, we, we, we have what we, uh, the Farm Tech Circle, which is our free membership community for farmers who are interested to find out about um, kind of the latest happenings in agricultural technology and innovation. So this is certainly something we'll have to include in our next monthly um, newsletter to those guys. Awesome. Right. Um, so finally, so if, 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 if one of these many farmers wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best thing through your website? Yep, so our website is pollenize.org.uk, so P-O-L-L-E-N-I-Z-E, or you can give us an email at hello at pollenize.org.uk. And my name is Matthew, and this is Owen, and we're always here on the other end to answer any questions you may have. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for taking some time out of what I'm assuming is a busy day to have this chat with us. Um, It's been really, really interesting, and I... Look forward to keeping a close eye on how things develop, particularly with that um, that uh, farm network trial that you've got going. Yes, thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity as well, Tom. We appreciate it. Not at all. Thank Brilliant. you. Thanks, cool. Nice one.